Well, good morning. How are we? Yeah, great. I also want to just say happy Mother's Day. Uh, it's, a, it's a great day, and I, I just hope all you moms out there have a, have a terrific day. Um, uh, I, I, I want to give a shout out to my, my own mom, say love you mom, to uh, my mother-in-law, very thankful for my mother-in-law, love her too, my wife, of course, I want to say happy Mother's Day uh, to my wife, Danielle, who is raising four kids, Logan, Michaela, Callie, and me, all right, um, <laughs> she's got a full-time job doing that, so I want to say, <laughs> honey, I love you, and then of course, all, all of you, uh, thank you, thank you moms for what you do, uh, your church family loves you. You need to know that. We are in a series right now called Check Your Heart, and we said that, you know, the, the, we, we all recognize that the physical body needs a, 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 a checkup every once in a while, right? We, we need to um, check in, see how we're doing physically, uh, but even more importantly than how we're doing physically is how, how we're doing spiritually, how our heart is doing. We said this is because the heart is at the core of who we are. Our, our heart is at the core of our soul. While our physical body will one day be laid to rest, our physical heart will stop beating at some point. Our spiritual heart lives on forever. And we saw um, in Proverbs, the wise man even tells us um, that we need to guard our heart, our spiritual heart above all else because it says it affects Everything else we do, it affects our experiences, how we experience the world around us. And uh, at the it's at the core of our life that lives on for forever. And the problem is there's these dangers, these enemies, we could call them enemies of the heart that want to creep in and, and, and get to the core of our life. And if we're not careful, we'll let these things seep in. They sneak in and and they, 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 they're toxic, and they wreak damage, uh, havoc on, on our lives, and we don't want that. So this is a series about just doing a checkup, seeing how is our heart doing, and then how do we remedy some of these things that um, can creep into our life. And this morning, we're going to talk about the issue of burnout, okay? Just dealing with, with burnout, exhaustion uh, in, in, our, in our lives. What do we do? Um, if we're feeling exhausted. I remember many years ago, uh, some of you have heard me tell this story. Um, Logan and Michaela are twins. They had just been born. Uh, so we were uh, adjusting to the, the whole lifestyle of trying to raise twins. And at the time, we lived on the third floor uh, of, of an apartment, okay? So you can imagine having twins uh, in their car seats that you would have to carry up three flights of stairs because this apartment complex had no elevators, and so on, on one day, I have to go to work. Danielle's already gone. I've got to get the kids to, um, to, day, to, to their babysitter so that I can run off to work. So I'm in my work clothes. This is in the middle of summer. It's hot. It's humid. I get down the first flight of stairs holding a car seat in each hand. And let me just say, these kids ate well, okay? <laughs> and by the time I get to the bottom of the first staircase, I am already starting to feel the burn. I then get to the bottom of the second staircase, and now it's really burning. My arms are starting to go numb. And by the time I get to the, to the very bottom, it, I'm, it's taking everything I have just to scramble to the car without dropping them. I get to the car. Forgot my car keys. 
So now what that means, I've got to scramble. i got to go back up and back down. i got to do twice what I just did. Okay, now that's right behind my car. I noticed this little grassy nook. There was a fence, somewhat hidden, next to the dumpster. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I could probably leave them here, run up, and get back down before anybody notices. Now, this is one of those real life, this is like what you've seen in a cartoon. It, it happened to me, okay? The devil popped up on this shoulder, and he said, you can make it. I said, do it. You got this. But then the angel popped up on this side, except it wasn't an angel. It was my wife. <laughs> and she said, if you do it, I will hurt you. Okay? And that was all I needed to hear to say, okay, I'm not going to do this. And so I had to scramble up three flights of stairs, grab the car keys, sweating. I'm drenched now. Get down, get in the car to get to the babysitter. So now I can go to work. And I just remember being utterly exhausted. And the thought crossed my head, how am I going to keep doing this? How am I going to do this dad thing? How am I going to, how are we going to survive? We're new to this whole parenting thing at the time. Like, how are we going to make this happen? And maybe some of us come in here today and you're just feeling exhausted. You're just feeling like overwhelmed with life. It might be your job. It might be trying to raise kids. Might be just the unknown, but, but you come in and you know that it could be school. We all know that burnout is a real threat to our heart. And here's the problem with burnout. I've become somewhat of an expert in the area of burnout, just being a pastor and having gone through a season of burnout in my ministry. When burnout hits, you lose your joy. The first thing that's going to go when you get burned out and you find yourself exhausted, the first thing that's going to go is going to be your joy. Now, when I talk about joy, the way you could define that is joy is a sense in our inner being of, of, of excessive happiness. That's how you could define it. Joy is a sense of excessive happiness. And, and the problem with the way we typically think of joy is, is we think of it as circumstantial based on our situation and the things that are happening to us around us in life. But the Bible teaches something radically different from that. The Bible teaches it's not circumstantial. In fact, the Apostle Paul, after giving a list of trials and tribulations and struggles that he's had in his ministry, and we're talking about terrible stuff, I want you to hear what he says in 2 Corinthians 6.10. He says, our hearts ache but we always have joy. You see, joy is rooted in our relationship with Jesus. Joy flows from our relationship with Christ. No matter our circumstance, no matter our situation, the hope and the joy that we have in Christ is always available to us in our relationship with Jesus. In fact, let me say something that maybe you've never thought about. The most joy-filled person in the entire universe, you know who it is? It's Jesus. And he knows how to give you joy. But when you get, dis when you get distracted by exhaustion and burnout, your relationship with Jesus usually tends to start to struggle 
and you find your joy waning. And my hope for us today is that we would begin taking steps to be a joy-filled people, filled with the, the inner joy that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ, which means we've got to guard our hearts against burnout. And there's a story in the Bible that I think wants to help us with this, that wants to change our mindset and the way we think to protect our lives from exhaustion and, and a loss of, of joy. And it's the story of Mary and Martha. Okay, so we read about this in, in Luke 10. Starting in verse 38, this is what we read. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Okay, um, so Martha uh, is the sister of Mary. She is also the sister of Lazarus, okay? Most of us have heard of Lazarus, who, was, who Jesus raised from the dead. So it's uh, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are all part of this family. And here, Martha opens her home to Jesus, and that also means, by extension, his disciples. So all these, these guys come into her home. And keep in mind, this isn't a day where, where you were expected to be hospitable. And so this is Martha doing something very kind, this is Martha doing something that we could e would even be considered godly, serving in this way, inviting Jesus and the disciples to come into her home. Verse 39 says, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Okay, so Mary the sister, where is she? She's at the feet of Jesus, and this is interesting because two other times when it mentions Mary in the Bible, guess where we find her? At the feet of, of Jesus. And what that, that is, is just a way of saying Mary was humble, and, and she considered herself a disciple who, who desired, okay, Christ in, in her in her life. Every time we talk about Mary, we find that she is at the feet just wanting more of Jesus in her life. And what is it that she valued from, from Jesus? Well, the first thing she valued was his word. She longed for, to hear the words of, of Jesus in, in her life, okay? Uh, other people recognized that there was something different about the teaching of Jesus compared to the other religious leaders of the day. They said when Jesus teaches, he teaches with authority, okay? Mary recognized that there was something about when Jesus taught that fed her soul, Okay, uh, this is, the, 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 there's this word in the Bible, this idea of God's word feeding us, coming into our life and speaking into our life. And, and the Greek word for that is rhema. Uh, when you read about the word in the New Testament, there's three Greek words behind it. And the first one is this Greek word that's graphe. It just means anything that's written, any kind of language that's, that's written on a scroll or what became books. That's just the graphe. But then you have the logos, the logos is the meaning behind those words. That's the logos. And many Christians understand that the Bible's a book. Many Christians even understand some of the meaning behind those words. But not everybody has experienced the rhema. The rhema is when God's word comes into your life and speaks it directly into your life situation, into your heart. 
And Mary realized when Jesus speaks, it speaks deep into my heart. Some of you have told me, someone just told me recently, they came up after a message and they said, Pastor, how did you know? How did you know what we were going through and that that was the message we needed to hear? Sometimes you come in and you hear a message like, how, how did, friends, that's not me. That's the rhema. That's the word of God speaking into your life. And you need to understand that's a big deal. I'm just the mouthpiece, but God is speaking through me, his spirit, into your life situation. You are experiencing the rhema. They've actually done statistics that people who read their Bibles and experience this, it's been proven their life begins to change in positive ways. They've done studies on this. That's because the rhema is powerful and life-changing, and Mary knew it, and so she longed to be at the feet of Jesus and hear the word feed her soul. But not just his word, also his, his very presence. There is something just about being in the presence of, of Christ. You, you ever been in the presence of someone and, and just their mood, their attitude, whatever it is about them kind of changes your mood and your attitude? It just kind of changes the atmosphere? know people like that? Like if, if they're negative or gloomy or something like that, you kind of just pick up on that. It can start to affect your mood. I remember one time Danielle and I were on a flight. We're sitting next to these kids. And uh, these kids were, I mean, they just whiny, upset. They didn't get something they wanted. So, you know, started throwing a tantrum. We're sitting next to this. And this is going to sound terrible. Don't judge me, okay? But I call over the stewardess, and I'm like, uh, is there any other seat anywhere else on the plane? And the stewardess says, uh, sir, parents have to sit with their own children at all times, okay? <laughs> These were my kids. <laughs> but just how they were acting, affecting me, and the way I felt in my mood, in my life. And I wonder, we all experience that through people. We don't realize sometimes how much people and the people around us can affect it. But do you realize when you are in the presence of Jesus, he begins to affect the atmosphere? He begins to affect your mood. He begins to affect your attitude. Jesus comes in, and it's just like when you are just in his presence, you begin to feel hopeful. You begin to feel safe. You begin to feel courageous. That's what the presence of Christ can do, and Mary knew it. I'm going to get his word, and I'm going to get his presence, and so I'm going to sit at his feet and soak it up like a sponge. And Mary knew what it led to in her life. Joy. It would lead to joy. Now, Martha, the sister, isn't too happy about this, okay? Because uh, we're going we're gonna to read on, verse 40, it says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me, Jesus. So, so Martha goes to Jesus to say, look, she, she's just sitting there. We, I'm getting the, the house ready, you know, I'm, I'm cleaning off the countertops, going into the junk drawer, right? I'm, I'm preparing a meal for all your disciples. Tell Mary to get and help me. And friends, we got to understand, this is a cultural expectation at the time. This is what the women would do. They'd go in, they'd prepare the meal, get everything ready. It was a cultural expectation that Martha is, is putting on Mary. Have you ever heard the expression, 
Don't let someone should on you. Where someone says, you should be doing this. You should be doing that. You should be in the kitchen helping get things ready. You should be in a thousand activities with your kids. Martha is shooting on Mary, and Mary is not having it. And this is the principle we've got to understand, because I'm telling you, we live in a culture that wants to should all over us. Some of you have people in your life that want to should all over you. But this is the principle we got to learn. Joy requires protecting your pursuit of Jesus at all cost. This is what Mary understood. Martha, you want to should on me? I get it. But I've got to protect my pursuit of Christ at all cost because if not, my joy will be at stake. And so Martha, so Jesus is going to get back to Martha, right? Because Martha's now gone to him and complained about her sister. But let's see how Jesus is going to respond, okay? Verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things. Worried and upset about... Does that make you think of anybody? I'm just curious. <laughs> Do you know anyone like that? Someone worried and upset? They're the, the person always busy, always scrambling, worried and upset. And say, I, if you don't know someone like that, let me just suggest it might be. Okay, you, let's move on. Worried and upset about many things. But I, I love this. Few things are needed. In fact, Jesus is going to even get more specific, or indeed only one. This is all I expected, Martha. And I'm thinking Jesus knows. I mean, if we want afterwards, we could have the disciples kind of help themselves in the kitchen. They could get something they need. Or I can snap my fingers. If I can feed 5,000, I can take care of this. Indeed, only one thing is needed, Martha. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. See, that, see we got to make a choice. This is a choice. Am I going to let people should all over me? Am I going to let culture tell me what I should always be doing so I'm busy, I'm exhausted, I'm scrambling around, distracted? Or am I going to make a choice to protect my pursuit of Jesus at all costs? And I'm telling you, if you're going to do that, I'm telling you, if you're going to do this, like I'm serious, at all cost, you're going to have to get a little selfish. You're going to have to get a little selfish. Okay, now when I talk about getting selfish, I don't mean just doing whatever you want, all right, to fulfill your own, you know, worldly desires. That's not what I'm talking about here, but I am telling you, you got to get a little selfish. You've got to get selfish in your pursuit of Jesus. And I know this is antithetical to what we grow up, especially in a Midwestern culture. You have got to get selfish 
in your pursuit of Jesus. And let me just show you some verses that it's not me talking. This is Jesus talking to us this morning. Okay, listen to some of the things Jesus, this, this first verse I'm going to show you, this is when Jesus tells a bunch of people, follow me. I want to give you abundant life. I'm going to follow me. I'm going to show you the way. Okay, and then these guys say, like, we want to follow you, Jesus, but our dad just died. And it's going to take a few days to get the funeral arrangements in place. Okay, so in this unique situation where Jesus is saying, follow me, we've got a couple people, their, their, their dad is, listen, what, how Jesus responds. Jesus told them, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. By, by the dead, burying the own dead here, what he's talking about, he's talking about people who don't see the value in Jesus. They don't see the value in his word. They don't see the value in his presence. He, let those people take care of it. Let those people do it. You have to get selfish in your pursuit of me and follow. Now, I didn't say this, friends. This, this, is, this is Christ. This is the more, most important thing in your life. And in that unique situation, that's what he's calling them to. Listen, listen to this, Luke 14. If you want to be my disciple, again, Jesus talking, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother. Great Mother's Day text, by the way. Leave it to your pastor to bring this one up on Mother's Day. You must hate your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, he's not saying we literally hate people, but he's saying in comparison to your love and devotion to me, sometimes they're going to interpret that as you hate me. Because you keep choosing Jesus, you keep choosing whatever you've got to do to find this Jesus over me. Sometimes it's going to be perceived as hate. And Jesus says, you can't be my disciple unless that's how you live, unless you get selfish in your pursuit of me. He tells another story, a parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. He says, when a man found it, he hid it again. And in his joy, he went and he sold all that he had and he bought that field. He could have that treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one very precious pearl... He went away and sold all he had, and he bought it. He bought that problem. I'm going to give everything away because I realized my necessity for this treasure that I found. Talking about Jesus. Jesus says this elsewhere. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Above all else. All else. And live righteously. And he, God, will give you everything you need. God will give you everything you need. He's saying, put me first. Make me a prayer. Choose me. Get selfish in your pursuit of me. And all those other things that you need in life that lead to a fulfilled life, God will provide them. He'll take care of it. He'll provide it for you. So I brought a little illustration for us today to illustrate that. Okay, feels like I'm about to do a magic trick. <laughs> so, in this, in this vase right here, this, this, this vase represents the capacity of your life and the sand that you see in it, okay? Hopefully we can all see this. The sand represents all the things you need. In life, and, and think of it this way, all the things you need or think you need to live 
a fulfilled life. Okay? The problem is most of us make this, the sand, a priority. The things we think we need. We make that a priority. And then we come around and we say, okay, but I, I do want a little bit of Jesus. And, and so we try to put, get Jesus and we get a little... This is exactly, by the way, what Martha's doing. She opened her home to him. She likes the idea of Jesus. So she's going to get a little bit of Jesus. But, but doesn't quite fit. And, and so then your joy does, doesn't quite fit. And, and certainly peace. Look, it, it, you went after all the things. You get a little bit of Jesus, but you don't really get a lot of joy and a lot of peace. This is how so many of us end up living our lives. But here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying if we will put him first... Get the joy that comes from a relationship with him. Get the peace that comes from a relationship. Look, look what happens. Look what happens. His promise to us. All those things you need. All those things that live to a fulfilled, joy-filled life. I'll provide that for you. He'll provide it for us. And you get the things that you were after, but now you have joy and peace with it. And how many of us pursue the things of this world and we even get those things, but the joy and the peace is missing? Why? Because we didn't make a choice to pursue Jesus <laughs> selfishly. Whatever the cost. So, friends, here's my, here's my two questions for us. Wrap this up. Something you can think about this week. First, what, what do you need to say yes to? What do, you, what do you need to start saying yes to in, in your life? And I don't want to give you any specifics because I feel like we're all wired differently and we all experience Christ differently. We all connect with Jesus differently. Some of us, it's just by being out in nature. So, some of us, it's being like in lots of community and Bible studies and things like that, and that's great. But for, for others of us, it's by being alone and just reading our Bible by ourselves and spending time with, and quiet time. I mean, we're all wired differently. But what do you need to start saying yes to in your life to pursue this Christ? So that you get him. But maybe the more important question is, what do you need to say no to? Are there things in your life you need to start maybe cutting out? I just asked someone here at the church to step into a really important position. And this person said no. Because I know if I do it, I'm going to overextend myself. It's, it's, going to, it's going to rob me of my joy and it's going to then cost my family. As well. And so this person said, said, no, there's things that sometimes we gotta say no to, good things that we gotta say no to. Maybe it's a thousand activities with our kids and we're running from place to place, but we're so distracted and our joy is, is being lost. What, what do you need to say no to? Friends, I can remember so many years ago when I became a Christian and I sat down and I started reading the Word of God and the Rhema came through. And it was like God had written 
just to me. I started in the book of Genesis and I started reading and it was like God was telling me my story. And I just said, God, my life was hurt. I was in pain. I'm not letting anything get in the way of experiencing you in my life. You're talking to me. He was convicting me of things. He was telling me things in my life that needed to change. He was even giving me glimpses of my future. And then I got into Leviticus and it all got lost, okay? Um, I, I'm even a pastor. I still don't understand Leviticus, all right? So, but then I got into the New Testament and I kept reading. And I'm just telling you, the rhema kept coming in and God was speaking in my life. And I was like, I'm not letting anything get in the way of this. I'm going to pursue you at all cost. Ended up going off to Bible college. I know we can't all do that. We can't all, you know, have the privilege to do that. But I, got, I was like, Jesus, at all costs, I'm going. I'm going to learn your word. I want to know. I didn't go to make a career of it. I wanted Jesus. And I'm telling you, in that process, what does God do? He provides a wife. He eventually gives us some kids that I'm trying to get away from on an airplane. He gives us enough money to make a living. He just is taking care of us. You know why? Because he's good. And he's not kidding. And I got selfish, and I'm glad I got selfish. And I see so many people growing up in a Midwestern culture. Oh, I can't be selfish. I can't put Christ first because I got to do this. I got to I got to serve. I got to look a certain way. Going to kill you. And you're going to live a life without any joy or peace. And as your pastor who loves you, I want something. I want you to know peace, the peace and the joy that comes when you don't let anything get in the way of your pursuit of Christ. And please don't get me wrong. Do I some days get my priorities out of whack? Oh, yeah, I do. And that's why I need messages like this, and I need to hear Jesus' word reminding me, no, 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 no. I come first. You don't let anything get in the way. I know some of us are here this morning. We probably come in and we're exhausted, and maybe it's from work. Maybe it's from trying to raise kids, just life problems, relationships. Maybe some of you are burdened by sin this morning. This is an opportunity for us to invite Christ in and to ask him to carry our burdens for us. He promises he'll do that. He says we can cast all of our cares on him because he cares for us. I remember this time where I was in sin. I was doing something that I was feeling so ashamed about. And I was, just, I was even scared to come to God, but he, he brought a verse to me through a friend, and this verse literally changed the way I think about Jesus. Okay, it's, it's uh, Matthew 11. Many of us know it, but I want you to hear a phrase in this. Where Jesus says, he says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, some of us today. He says, I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke. You could translate that burden my teaching, what I ask of you upon yourself. And he says, learn from me. And this was the part that changed my life. He said, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Friends, he's talking to sinners here. He's talking to people overwhelmed by their guilt and shame. He doesn't say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come down on you. I'm not gonna yell at you. He says, come to me, I'm gonna give you rest because I am gentle and humble in heart. Is this not a good God? 
And he says, you will find rest for your souls for my yoke. What I ask of you is easy. And my burden is light. If you got a sin, you got a burden, you need to cast off on Jesus. He's saying, I'm here, I'm here, I'm gentle, I'm humble. I want to take it from you and I want to walk with you. And I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness because I am faithful and good. That's why I went to the cross. And so we're going to get an opportunity to invite the presence of Christ in here this morning. We're going to take communion together. If you did not grab a, a communion cup, you can just raise your hand. We got people in the back. Bring you one. Friends, my hope for us this morning is that as we do this, this isn't just going to be some ritual. My hope is that we're going to experience the presence of Christ. We've heard his word. Now I want to to experience his peaceful, joy-giving presence in our our hearts this morning as, as we take him in, okay? So we're going to peel that top layer Hopefully you didn't clip your fingernails, okay? Because you have to work this thing sometimes. But This wafer represents the body of Christ broken for you and me. And it's almost like as it was broken, it's almost like, a, imagine a fragrance. Imagine his joy and his peace coming out so that it can be ours. <laughs> okay, his body is broken for us so that we can take him in. And that's what I want us to do. So together, let's eat. Mm, Jesus, come in. Come into our hearts. Bring healing. Bring health. Bring rest. Bring your joy. You're so good. And then we peel that second layer. This is his blood. Represents his blood being shed for our sin. cleanse us from all that unrighteousness, anything unclean in our life, and his blood takes it away. It washes us. The Bible says it's white as snow. So nothing gets in the way of our relationship with God and drawing from him. We don't want anything getting in the way of that. So we're going to take this in and be washed this morning, be washed clean. We take your blood in, Jesus. Lord, this morning, as you come into this place and you fill our hearts with yourself, I just want to pray that you would, you would break any bondage of slavery, that you would break any bondage of people shooting on us or culture shooting on us. I want to pray that you would break the bondage of exhaustion and burnout, Jesus. And we want to invite you in. <laughs> the one who says your, your burden is light. To come in and, and give us a sweet rest this morning. We want to rest in you. Tell us this morning, Jesus, remind us who we are. Remind us that in you we're safe and that everything is going to work out for our good. That's your promise to us. And just help us this morning to take a deep breath. <sighs> Let it out.
and rest. Uh, we love you. Thank you for the power that comes through your presence. We pray this in your name. Amen.